This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back everyone. And thanks for listening. Vision is often described as a picture of a better tomorrow. Visions for the future are normally big, like a concept, that are followed by ideas that are smaller and perhaps more practical in application. Ideas serve as a roadmap on the journey to the concept that is envisioned for a better tomorrow. Here at Food First Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, we try, learn, fail, repeat, mix in a bit of success, followed by more trying and more learning until eventually we know enough to implement and measure our impact. The key to this process, said Winston Churchill, is to, quote, go from one failure to the next without any loss of enthusiasm. Churchill saw two visions before him, one that was of tyranny and oppression, and the other was of liberty and freedom. Which envision inspired him more? And the answer is neither. They both did. The huge task of standing strong against the external wave of momentum from Adolf Hitler threatened to knock him down, and that power was immense. The huge task of withstanding against the internal negativity of his own people took its toll. The apathy, the benign assistance, and the unbelief threatened his resolve more than the lurid leader of Nazi Germany. Here today, Jerry and I come to you via this radio and podcast with a vision of a better tomorrow, a tomorrow where no one stresses about food. Yet we are confronted by a stubborn and resilient social ill called hunger that is the scourge of our society. We see food insecurity as immoral, unacceptable, and beatable precisely how Prime Minister Churchill viewed fascism. Churchill had no real plan or blueprint, no true sense of his assets or allies, and plenty of naysayers, and he was of all things imperfect. Sounds a lot like us. What Winston Churchill was above all things was willing and relentless. He had more clarity in both of his visions of the future than those who would uproot him from his mission. He saw better beyond and before anyone else. In short, he was more stubborn than the problem that he faced and more committed than his external foe or internal antagonist. The vision of a better tomorrow fueled him then, and it does us today. I'm encouraged because our award-winning show, Food First Michigan is an example of seeing the problem of food insecurity through a different lens and connecting leaders from all sectors to see the challenge of food insecurity as one that they have a vested interest in solving. Today, we are pleased to have Ernie Birchmeyer from the Michigan Farm Bureau with us, and Jerry and I will be right back with Ernie to talk about our vision for a better tomorrow. You come back and be with us.
Welcome back, everyone. This is Food First Michigan. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here in the WJR studio, and as promised, Ernie Birchmeyer, the manager for the Center for Commodity Farm and Industry, Industry Relations at Michigan Farm Bureau. Ernie, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to talk with you. We have a great partnership between the Food Bank Council and our network of seven Feeding America food banks that serve all the counties here in Michigan and Michigan Farm Bureau. Um, I think we're just like, I don't know, I, I would say we're cousins, but I think we're closer than that. <laughs> well, it's important to have strong relationships uh, within the industry. You know, the, the Food Bank Council relies on uh, on great uh, Michigan agriculture products uh, uh, for consumers that they serve, and uh, our farmers work uh, diligently on a daily basis to provide the most abundant and safest and affordable food that they can provide uh, to our consumers, regardless of the food channels. So it's an important partnership that uh, where we rely on each other. Absolutely. Well, I don't, you know, we've had a couple of guests on, uh, Jerry, you know, in the last few weeks, uh, we had, um, uh, you know, Director Gary McDowell from uh, MDARD on. He kind of gave us a, a pulse of where we're at with the agriculture, with the farming, and how many fields were planted, or really, really how many fields weren't planted, and what we're looking at yield. But I don't really know anybody in the state that has their hand on the pulse of that more than Ernie. Well, here we go. I mean, I think our interest is is pretty broad. I think our, our community is really just uh, curious about, well, where do we stand now, and, and what are we expecting? And I think even a little bit, how are the farmers doing? I mean, you know, I think all of us were concerned for a while there at the level of anxiety and stress that the farming community was going through. So all those things are, are things we want to know about, and we know you know about. So uh, pick a topic and let's go. Well, unfortunately, things are still stressed across the countryside. Uh, um, you know, we the rain finally did shut off, and we were able to get some crops in the ground, but that was after an unprecedented spring and unprecedented rainfall that delayed planting considerably across the state. And, uh, you know, once it finally shut off, it shut off for good in many areas, and now you've got some parts of the state that are stressed because they need rain. And, uh, um you know the, the the gray days and the amount of heat that we've had have been been pretty good, but when are we going to get our first frost? Because once we get that, the the growing and maturity oppor- uh, opportunity for our crops, uh, um, you know, pretty much ends, and uh, uh, and we can't control that. We know that, and you know that limited amount of growing season we're going to have this year is going to impact the amount of feed that's available for our livestock across the state of Michigan, and really the amount of corn and soybeans and. And other commodities that are available for food for our consumers. So we are really at the whim of Mother Nature right now and hoping we get a late frost and some timely rains to uh, to help with the maturity of the crops. And it's just not a field crops issue. Our fruit and vegetable industry is stressed as well. Um, our livestock and dairy industries have been stressed, and uh, it's, it's a pretty challenging time for farmers across the state. Now, they're resilient, um, they're diligent, they work hard, um, they say quite a few prayers, mm. and um, 
you know, hopefully all will all will end up well. But um, it's it's a pretty challenging time. I I hate to paint a bleak picture, but we have to be realistic about what things are like across the countryside. You know, and there's such a ripple effect. Uh, the agriculture is so important to our economy in Michigan. And Michigan food banks, when we see these sorts of trends developing, well, we want to be there for the people that need us, quite frankly. And, and so do our listeners. Uh, and so we know that one of the reasons we want to get this message out is because we want to let people know that we're, we're serving these counties where these issues are happening. And unfortunately, there's people that are going to be needing a little extra help that we didn't expect at the beginning of the year that probably we're looking now and going, yeah, we probably, we, we probably got to do a little bit more. So not, and again, not just farmers, but all of the other people who are affected, whether they're selling equipment or fertilizer or, you know, or involved anywhere in that food supply chain, obviously, when, when there's a bump in one part, it affects all parts uh, of that chain. And, of course, that ripple effect can be pretty significant. So, so what are your, you know, what, are, what is Farm Bureau thinking these days? I mean, what are, are, as you're situated in the middle of all this and see the ripple effect on the economy, how is it affecting your decisions, or is it yet? Well, it's going to uh, it's going to impact our decisions. Um, um, you know, based upon any type of policy recommendations our members might have in terms of legislative or regulatory fixes that we may you know may seek out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the regulatory burden on agriculture is pretty high, and. If there are additional regulations, can they be pushed off? Can we work with the decision makers to potentially delay those in light of the farm economy and what's happening in the countryside? So, uh, you know, those that are impacted by the challenges typically come up with the best solutions. And, you know, we're currently going through our County Farm Bureau annual meeting process, and our members are sitting down talking about some of those issues. I do appreciate the fact that you mentioned the ripple effect in the countryside because this does have a long tail. You know, when, um, those those mm. rural communities, uh, the backbone of those rural communities are, in many instances, are those farms and, and farm families. And, you know, if, if they don't have any income, they're not going to buy any new equipment or they're going to put off purchasing decisions. Um, what does that mean for the local input provider selling seed and, and fertilizer and crop protection materials uh, if, A, they didn't use what they had in the barn this year, or, B, you know, uh, have some economic challenges next year. What does it mean for the local auto dealer? What does it mean for the local school system? Right, you know, right. the farmers still need to pay those property taxes, and those uh, local school systems re- rely on those pretty heavily. So uh, people tend to forget about the ripple effect or the tail on, on this, and it, it, it could be long, and it's, it could extend into next year. We don't know what kind of crop is going to come out of that field this fall, and um, we won't know until then. So uh, um, if there is a crop, a decent crop, not much of a crop, and then where are things going to be at from a pricing standpoint, and uh, uh, how do we go about making this work? That's on top of all the trade issues that are out there impacting the industry right now. And, you know, trade is a critical component to uh, uh, overall success in the ag economy, and we need to get those trade agreements fixed, whether it be USMCA or our discussions with China. Uh, Our farmers want the opportunity to operate on a playing field that's level and free and fair and you know, those trade agreements uh, were old and outdated or non-existent, and uh, we may need to make sure that we're all uh, playing by the same rules, so to speak, in the international marketplace. Yeah, and of course that, for us, you know, in, in our work, all of those things uh, 
you know, have us bracing for what we think is going to be a pretty challenging fall. I mean, it's it's always true that uh, the summertime is challenging for us because with school out, you have so many kids who get meals in school that aren't getting those meals in the summer. So we always see a rise in the number of people needing help in the summer because of that. And then usually once those kids go back to school in the fall, we really have a little bit of a lull. I mean, things calm down a little bit for us until they're back out of school in the holiday season and then, you know, the other additional pressures of winter coming and all those things. So that's kind of the way our cycles work. Well, now we're looking at fall as maybe being another time of increase uh, as people, you know, generally people don't ask for help soon enough. They wait, they try to manage their life without without asking for help, and then by the time they get around to saying, we just can't figure this out anymore, they're, they're in pretty, pretty dire straits. And so, you know, we're trying to get ahead of it now, um, and that's why we're having these conversations, to really try to understand what should we be bracing for and, and how much, for who, and, and for how long. We, will, we want to pick that up in just a minute. We're talking with Ernie Bernchbeyer, the manager for the Center for Commodity Farm and Industry Le- Relations at Michigan Farm Bureau. That's Jerry Brisson sitting over there the other side of me. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're back here on WJR in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. We're back here as promised. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here with Ernie Birchmeyer, the manager for the Center for Commodity Farm and Industry Relations at Michigan Farm Bureau. Our friends, partners, colleagues, um, I, I said we were cousins, but I think we're closer than that. So we, we must be like brothers and siblings and family. And, and, uh, and, you know, and that's really the bedrock of agriculture, too, isn't it, Ernie? I mean, it's, it's families who have chosen uh, to live this life. And, you know, we talk about it and how thankful we are for them because we understand that solving hunger starts in the field. Absolutely. You know, we've got a we've got about 47,000 farms across Michigan encompassing about 10 million acres and uh um, providing the food and farm uh, food and uh and resources for the rest of our uh, rest of our constituents and consumers across the state. So, you know, less than 1% of our general population or less than 2% actually farm. Um, but we're uh, we're providing for the other 98% and and even consumers wow. around the world. So it's it's pretty fantastic, but they're family-operated units across the state and across the country, and uh, um, and we're proud and glad to do that. Well, we said on the show a few weeks ago that um, when we heard about, you know, when we really understood the 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 stress that farmers and farmer uh, families were under because of the rain and the agriculture and the state of the weather and the crops and were we going to get enough and warm days and all every, you know, prices. And as you mentioned, we want to talk a little bit more about two in the show is, you know, this idea of uh, trade mitigation and, and tariffs and the effect this is having all over the place that we understood that there were some uh, hotlines that had been set up for, um, for farmers to reach out, family members of the agricultural community to reach out 
for you know mental health reasons, emotional health reasons, and uh, and you know we're sad about that, but we're glad that people are understanding that this truly is a crisis for them, and we're coming alongside of them. And in fact, we ended the show that day, Jerry, and said, you know, if don't just shake the farmer's hand, give them a hug. Righto. You know, and uh, well. so we we look at two percent who's feeding the rest of us. So I mean, that's pretty. That's a that's a pretty special population. It it is absolutely, and uh, and as we mentioned, they they are stressed right now, and you know I can't reiterate enough the importance of talking about those issues when they happen. Uh, um, you know, not just talking about them professionally, but talking about them in the family situation. And you know, challenges start at home, and you know we're a, we're a pretty proud industry, and sometimes we keep our our challenges hidden in way too long without talking about them. So it is important that. Um, you know, that we have those discussions, uh, you know, with the family members, with the other members of the business and talk about where we're at. And if, if we need to reach out for some professional help, that we do that as well. I mean, we all go through difficult times in our lives and it's how we handle them that determines how we come out the other end. So there's nothing wrong with talking about them. And, you know, these farmers out across the state that are doing this on a daily basis, sure, they're stressed, but at the same time, they want to provide that wholesome and affordable food supply to our consumers, and they like to uh, to teach the consumers about what it is they do on a daily basis and how they do it and why they do it. You know, most families are three, four, or five generations removed from the farm, and, you know, we don't really think about it a whole lot because we go to the grocery store and the food is there on the shelf, but uh, um, we don't necessarily think about where it comes from very often. And, you know, I always encourage people when they get the opportunity to uh, – you know, schedule a trip to a farm if there's one nearby. Get to know the farmer. Ask them the questions they want to know about. See where their food comes from. Uh, you know, whether it's a dairy farm or a livestock farm of another kind or a fruit and vegetable operation, uh, um, stop and, and visit and just ask questions. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we've got a great uh, group of farmers across the state that would love to spend some time educating people about where their food comes from. You know, I was just out at one of our farms that supplies our food and because they brought in the cabbages and the cabbages this year were I'm going to say half the size that they were at the same time last year mm-hmm. uh, you know so we know that you know that late planting uh, does have an effect and of course I'm asking questions now it might not be the gentlest all the time <laughs> come on Charlie you gotta help me out man <laughs> But obviously, there's a lot of love in these relationships, and and we have farmers who specifically set aside acreage just for the food bank every year. Right, and they do that because they know they can give back that way. It's a little bit simpler for them to manage their donations because they know what to expect. And uh, and then on top of that, when uh, when they have excess yields, uh, they give that to us as well, and and for some farmers, it's 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 a it's a huge commitment every year, and so uh, we're so grateful for that most fresh, most tasty food that that people really want and need. So there's a point here, Jerry, uh, Ernie, that last year our network distributed over 205 million pounds of food across the state to our hungry neighbors, and over 80 million pounds of that was fresh produce. The vast majority of that coming from Michigan. I mean, there's some things you can't, we don't have, in, or, you know, oranges, things like that. But And seasonality affects us too. You know, there's right. times of the year where it's just hard to get the variety that families need. Well, 31, about 
of uh, the food that we distributed was fresh produce. At the same time, when you look last year and where we're at this year, we're down 31% in produce, fruit, fresh fruit and vegetables. As sure, a, and a lot of that, statewide, yeah. yeah. A lot of that can be attributed to uh, the weather we had this spring. I mean, we're, you know, we're normally putting plants in the ground in, in April and May and early June. And in, in this year, a lot of those crops didn't go in the ground until June and July. So it's going to have an impact on what is out there and how much. And, you know, we're pretty fortunate in Michigan. We produce over 300 commodities. We're, we're second in diversity only to California with a number of different crops and, and commodities that we produce. And you can travel around the state. You know, you start in the southwest corner and go up the west side, and you can find virtually every fruit and vegetable uh, along with uh, livestock, dairy, and, and field crops uh, that's available anywhere in the country with the exception of citrus. And, you know, you can travel down through the center part, see tremendous fields full of uh, of row crops and sugar beets and get into southeast Michigan and uh, you get more uh, more vegetables and then up into the thumb with great livestock and dairy farms and row crops. But um, <clears throat> those... Uh, those farmers uh, are glad to share their bountiful harvests, uh, especially those that have a shorter uh, shelf life, if you will, those fruits and vegetables that are more perishable, especially if they have extra, and, and uh, are glad to support the Food Bank Council in that manner. He's Ernie Birchmeyer, the manager for Center for Commodity Farm and Industry Relations at the Michigan Farm Bureau. He's our guest today here on Food First Michigan, and Jerry and I are back with Ernie in just a couple of minutes. Food First, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everybody. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here in the WJR studio. What are we, the Golden Tower? We're in the Golden Tower, not the Green Tower. It's the Golden Tower. The Golden Tower of the Fisher Building. That's it, Golden Tower of the Fisher Building. So, Ernie Birchmeyer, the manager for the Center for Commodity, Farm, and Industry Relations at our friends and colleagues, partners, the Michigan Farm Bureau, and Ernie, um, you know, we had a meeting uh, at M- Michigan State University uh, just recently between the joint committees of, of agriculture in the House and the Senate. I mean, we had some testimony there from uh, the USDA and certainly uh, what is top of mind for everybody other than the weather would have to be the, the, the trade tariffs and how that's affecting our farmers and their families. Well, it's it's a it's a big issue. It's a serious issue, and and uh, it's impacting our farms on a daily basis. First of all, it's it's important that we have free and fair trade, and that we operate on a level playing field. Uh, our farmers would much rather get their income from the marketplace than any type of uh, government support program, and uh, they'll tell sure. you that on a daily basis. We have to remember, though, that 95, 96 percent of the world's population lives outside of the borders of the United States. Um, that the world is our marketplace, and our folks want the opportunity to compete in that marketplace. Um, we've got a number of trade issues that are impacting us on a daily basis. Uh, we hear them talked about every day, one of them being China, but uh, just as important as China is the USMCA, formerly known as NAFTA. Right. Actually, NAFTA is still in place, and the new trade agreement, USMCA, needs to be ratified by Congress. 
many people don't understand that that trade agreement is over a quarter of a century old and um, it needed to be updated. We we don't farm the way that we used to. We don't manufacture goods the way that we used to. And we probably should be operating with trade agreements that uh, aren't up to date and current as well. And uh, uh, there was a need to update that trade agreement. Uh, with Canada, Mexico, and the United States. In fact, uh, uh, Canada and Mexico are two of our most important trading partners simply because of proximity. Sure. And we needed to get that trade agreement updated, and now it's up to Congress to do their job and vote on this trade agreement and get it passed. Do you have any idea when that's scheduled to happen? Well, hopefully sometime between now and the end of the year. Congress needs to get uh, uh, back to work and uh, and take this issue up. And, you know, we're hoping that happens sometime in September or October. Um, and and uh, our, our elected officials now, the ball's in their court. And just, uh, you know, to kind of frame this even a little bit more, when you think about the benefits of the new trade agreement, let's assume that Everything happens exactly the way you want from here. This gets voted in in September. What would you say would be, you know, some of the immediate, like, this is why this would really help? Well, let's take dairy, the number one commodity in Michigan. You know, our, our dairy industry accounts for about $1.8 billion in, uh, in economic value. Mexico is our number one export market for dairy. Uh, they're also very high in the list when it comes to pork, and uh, and our opportunity to trade with them has been has been hampered significantly since uh, since we started renegotiating this trade agreement. Uh, that will have an immediate impact because we'll uh, we'll uh, open the doors and start sending product back uh, to Mexico as we had been as we had done in the past. So we'll see an immediate impact there. Um, there's also opportunities to move some additional dairy product into Canada. Uh, Canada was producing some different types of dairy products in the recent years that uh, weren't in the original NAFTA uh, discussions because they weren't being developed then. So there'll be an opportunity to move product there as well. You know, we're building a brand new bridge down in southeast Michigan uh, hmm. uh, from uh, Michigan uh, into Canada to help with trade, right? I mean, it's it's, it's right. under process now. and. Um, you know, we need that bridge built just like we need these trade agreements to be done so those goods and services can flow freely between the countries. Yeah, and I talked to a couple of dairy folks recently about this uh, exporting issue and some of the stresses they're under. They they spent quite a bit of time and money to develop these relationships with right. other countries, and the people in those countries need healthy, nutritious, fresh, and other dairy products. And uh, so, you know, they, they're definitely feeling the pinch of, you know, do they got to make some of that investment again because some of this stuff has taken so long? Yeah, we just had Ken Nobus uh, from the Michigan Milk Producers Association on, and our folks, our friends over at uh, United Dairy Industry of Michigan were here. And, I mean, they're obviously very excited about this agreement if we can get it passed. Or let me well, let me let me change my preposition. When we get right. it passed. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that much better. And you know, this trade agreement isn't just about agriculture. You know, the manufacturing and automotive industry are still kinda king of the hill in Michigan and uh uh there's there's increased opportunities uh, for those folks as well. So sure. you know, when when you hear someone from agriculture talking about these trade agreements, you assume that they're all about ag, but they're not. It encompasses everything. And uh this is uh uh, this is a win-win for all involved, and you know certainly with any trade agreements, you're going to find some that uh, don't necessarily like everything that's in it. Sure. But overall, this this trade agreement is very positive 
for America, not just for American ag, but for America, and we need to get that done. So, and then there's China. You right. know, there's China has a billion more people than we do here in the United States, and folks tend to forget about that. That's a wow. billion more people with growing incomes and a growing economy that have higher purchasing power, and they want to buy those products that are produced here in the United States. At the same time, they have products they want to sell into the United States. But let's be honest, we haven't been operating on a level playing field. Right. We need to remove those artificial trade barriers, and uh, let's let the goods and services flow, flow freely um, and let those that can produce it the best and market it the best have the opportunity to sell it, regardless of which country it's going to or coming from. That's how free trade works. Yeah, and my understanding is Michigan soybeans are one of the biggest uh, exports for us to China. Is that right? That is correct. Our soybean uh, exports to China have been uh, significant over the years. And um, now that's, that's came to a screeching halt this past year, partially due to the tariffs but partially due to the fact that uh, uh, the Chinese swine or pig population has been dealing with the devastating disease, and they've lost uh, about a third of their, their pork production because of the disease, so they haven't had to buy as many soybeans or corn to hmm. feed those pigs simply because they don't have them. Now, yeah. that would lead to additional export opportunities for pork from Michigan and the rest of the country. Um, and there is some of that happening, but the tariffs have certainly held that back and, uh, and, and brought that to a, a much slower pace and in some, some cases non-existent, and we need to get that fixed. So I think, Ernie, is there, um, is there kind of a, uh, something that we can do to help um, move both of these agreements along, and and is it is it talking to our U.S. senators? Is it talking to our members of the House and encouraging them to, hey, let's take this up, let's get it on the uh, calendar to uh, come up for a vote, and then let's vote affirmatively to to pass it. Absolutely, absolutely, and uh, you know we send uh, those elected officials to uh, whether it be Lansing or in this case, as, as we start talking about international trade agreements, to D.C. to represent us, the people. Um, you know we've got we've got the best system in the world when it comes to uh, our democracy and our elected officials, and we need to make sure that we are letting them know how we feel and sharing our messages and concerns with them, so that they can represent their constituents, which are those those of us here in the state of Michigan, and encourage them to vote for these trade agreements. At the same time, it never hurts to reach out to the administration, whether it be the um, you know the highest levels at the you sure. know the, the president's office or the United States Department of Agriculture and their trade trade folks, and encourage them to uh, send the message as well to fix the trade agreements to get it done, and uh, let's finalize this so that we can get back to business as normal. So we have to remember those folks are there to represent us, not themselves, and uh, um, and that the world is run by those who show up and speak up. So so if we're, we need to do our part to share our message as well. He's Ernie Birchmeyer, and he has put the cookies on the lower shelf so we could understand, Jerry. I so appreciate it, too. Ernie, thanks for being with us. The manager for the Center for Commodity, Farm, and Industry Relations at Michigan Farm Bureau. Thanks for being our friend, and especially thanks for being our guest. Thanks for the opportunity. It was great visiting with you all. Jerry and I are back to wrap up this edition of Food First Michigan in just a moment.
Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for listening today. Uh, Jerry Brisson, uh, I want to talk to you about Ernie in just a minute, but uh, I got to tell you, man, your presence in social media is just like booming. Well, we're we're trying to, you know, continue to put the message out there, even though the economy's good. There is still work to be done. Right. And and part of our challenge has always been that even though we're growing, and food banks in Michigan are growing in terms of our reach and in terms of how many pounds of, of really good food we're getting out there, uh, but there's still so many people to reach that we've never reached and we've right. never been able to reach. And so, you know, we're, we're just putting forth more and more effort, not just to, you know, tell that story, but to tell the story of people who are involved in this work, because so many of our neighbors and, and business associates are, are volunteering and, and spending time on this to really make a difference. They know how good it feels. They know when you're, you know, spending a little bit of time to see someone less fortunate have a better shot at a better life. There's nothing like that feeling. So, you know, a lot of our social media is, is fixed around the idea that don't you want to be a part of that? I bet you do. Instagram, Twitter, what's your, uh, how, how do folks find you? So, uh, GCFB Jerry is the, is the, you know, probably a good place to just and that's, start. And that's Jerry with a G. With a G, right. G-C-F-B, G-E-R-R-Y. It's a good place to start. You And you'll find me all over the place on that one. So at G-C-F-B is Gleaners Community Food Bank. Yep. And then your name, Jerry, with a G, G-E-R-R-Y. You know, I started as the spokesperson for the food bank in 2006. Right. And so got to be known as Jerry from Gleaners. So, uh, so the initials G-C-F-B. CFB. Well, my middle name is Francis, so uh, GFB are my initials. So there's uh, just that C in the middle uh, that's different. Well, I've always you do. Felt, you kind of belong to the community, so I feel that way. You know sure. that it's uh, it it. In fact, my first tour at the food bank when I before I started working there, and I was just going to get to know them and and see if it would be a good fit for me, which I sort of knew it would be. But you got to go through the motions, right? Augie Fernandez, who was the president at the time, opened up the the door to the closet where all the computer servers are kept, and they were all labeled GFB1, GFB2, GFB3. I said, well, they must be mine. They got my initials on it, right? It was pretty funny anyway. Well, I bring that up because uh, I want everybody to stay around because when I do the food for thought at the end of the show, it's about a very important announcement um, that's happening in your life and in your career. I mean... You know, Gleaners has been named the Food Bank of the Year across the Feeding America network, which I equate to winning the Nobel Prize uh, in some category. I mean, it's it only happens. It, it's a once in a lifetime kind of a thing, and and so we're really proud of the organization. The uh, Gleaners Community Food Bank is a part of the Food Bank Council of Michigan, one of the seven Feeding America food banks in the state, and. We're really proud that one of ours won, right? And it was yours and it was Gleaners. But the award I'm going to talk about in my Food for Thought is is yours. It's it's about Jerry. From It's not just about Gleaners, but it's about Jerry. And I'm, I want everybody to stay tuned for that. But meanwhile, we got a little work to do left before we get to that announcement. And uh, that was Ernie Birchmeyer from Michigan Farm Bureau. And I'll tell you, I don't know anybody in the States got their fingers on the pulse of what's happening uh, in the world of agriculture here 
in Michigan overall wide very wide lens about agriculture than than what Ernie does. Well, it's farmers who run those those companies at Farm Bureau. Mm-hmm. And they're they're the board of directors and they're the people that guide the organization and have for a long time they've been very successful. Farmers are very smart people uh and and critical to all of us, you know. And and as Ernie said, when you think about how much we depend on that group of people and how small a group it really is, you sure don't want to see any of them failing. No. It wasn't that many years ago when famine was something that came about every so often. Sure. You know, you'd have you'd have a, a crop failure of one kind or another and people would literally be starving to death in this country. It wasn't that long ago when the dust bowl happened. Sure. Right. And so, you know, or, or, you know, you can talk about the Great Depression and other times when when, you know, food was actually very, very scarce. There was rationing during World War Two because there wasn't enough food for home and away. I mean, and 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 right? We, right. we we know our history well enough to know that. Well, you know, you hate to see the farming community overstressed because really, if you just let that continue without taking action, you can end up in a very desperate place. And we certainly don't want to be there. Well, there's been a couple of articles um, that have come out. Crane's uh, Detroit Business uh, did an article uh, just recently came out on August the 18th. And uh, the article's by Sherry Welch. It's entitled Rainy Spring Comes Home to Roost for for Food Nonprofits. And and, um, there's a lot of us across the network that are quoted in this article. And, um, you know, and we mentioned a statistic on the show with Ernie that Compared to this year, uh, statewide, we're down about 31% of produce, fresh fresh fruits and vegetables that we're not able to give because we don't, they don't have them to, they haven't grown them, they haven't been able to give them. And so, you know, we have been able to to go outside the state with some purchasing power and, and help fill that gap. We've also had some uh, trade mitigation success in terms of the USDA and, and them buying some food and getting extra food to our food bank. So, you know, fortunately, we're, we're seeing our pounds distributed to the community stay where they need to be. But these are hardships and, and we're having to spend pretty hard-earned dollars to, we're managing to fix it. Them. Yep, exactly so We can't right. do it without the folks that are standing alongside of us. Not a chance. Uh, it's time for a little food for thought. Longtime listeners to this program will recognize a few of my reoccurring things. The first responsibility of leadership is to define reality. The true test of leadership is to create positive change. We must decide to help people where they're at, not where we wish they were. And everyone gets one handful of life. Will we spend it or invest it? My friend, colleague, co-host, board chair, and the CEO of the Gleaners Community Food Bank, which in 2019 is recognized as the best food bank in all of America, has garnished another unprecedented award. The coveted Shining Light Eleanor Josidas Unsung Hero Award, and this will be presented to Jerry Brisson, this distinguished honor, on October the 10th at an event worthy of the honor by the Metropolitan Affairs Coalition. This man, Jerry Brisson, has spent, slash, given, and invested his one handful of life in service and is by far the most intelligent, thoughtful, wise, 
and insightful leader I've ever worked with. His passion is legendary. His incendiary personality scorches the earth, blazing new trails for the rest of us to follow. His ability to discern motive and intent is legendary. He is so good at thinking, he makes me lazy. I catch my PhD self just thinking, well, just ask Jerry what he thinks, because it'll be poignant. I end this show by saying to Jerry, who is sitting across from me in our WJR Golden Tower News Talk 760 desk, thank you for investing your one handful of life in the pursuit to stand in the gap for those who struggle with life. You do not romanticize this work. The people are our endeavors to serve. You are a leader's leader who serves with a purity that is not often found in the hearts of men. Godspeed, sir. And for the rest of you, it truly is food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.